This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I began this podcast two years ago to extend the walls of my practice and to reach out to those who may be new to mental illness, have just been diagnosed, and want to find good information about it. Or you may be someone who's in therapy or has been in therapy, and you're just interested in participating in psychological discussions about things. It helps you on your own journey. Or perhaps you're someone who might never darken the door of a therapist for whatever reason that might be, as you're just curious enough to see what someone like me might have to say. I've been doing what I do for 25 years. 2019 will make it 26. (laughs) And I'm passionate about what I do. And if I can share some of the wisdom that I've learned from my own patients and a little bit from my own life, then I hope that will be helpful to you. I think we all have a little bit of wisdom. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how to use comparison of yourself with others in a way that's healthy and healing, rather than creating a harder, more jealous, or more insecure you. I'll tell you some of the stories I've witnessed as a therapist, or I've heard as a therapist, and a couple of my own to move the discussion along and help you see you're far from alone in whatever fight you have with comparing yourself negatively to others. This episode will be airing the weekend before the Christmas holiday. So if you're of the Christian faith, I certainly wish you a Merry Christmas and a blessed Christmas. If you're enjoying Christmas with family and have traditions, I'll certainly wish you well as well. I know for many of us, this is a very difficult time of year. And so I hope even with this particular segment on comparing yourself with others, it will help you realize that we all have our vulnerabilities even though it may look like that other people have the life that you would want. To those of you who have just finished celebrating Hanukkah, I hope that season went well and was meaningful for you. So holiday greetings to all of you. Our listener email today is from someone who strongly identifies with perfectly hidden depression, but has an explosive anger at times. So what's that about? So today we're going to be talking about comparing yourself with others the pros and the cons of doing it. I'm about to tell you a true story. And this story could only really happen in a therapy practice in a fairly small town, which Fayetteville, Arkansas, could certainly be considered one. I had a female patient. She was a mom. She had her kids in a local school. My son had actually been to that school, so I kind of knew the physical layout. She'd come in to work on abuse from her past. And what she hated about herself was how she worked so hard to stay away from painful feelings. So this is what she told me. When I take my kids to school, all I do is wave and say hi to everyone. I have to be right in the thick of things. I practically ignore my own child. And you know, it's not because I'm that outgoing. I'm just scared that other people won't like me. 
Then there's this lady who brings her child to school. She quietly walks in, and they look like they're talking and laughing together. She's so calm. They hold hands, and she walks her child to their classroom. I wish I was like that. I'm way too insecure. I'd be afraid others would think I was snobby or something. So there was plenty to work on there, right? (laughs) Right. But what was curious was that about the same time, I had another female patient. She was struggling with anxiety, moderate depression, and a tendency to isolate. One day, these were her words. When I walk my daughter into school, I'm so self-conscious that all I can manage is to cling to her hand, my head down, and get her into her classroom before anyone says anything to me. My heart is racing, but I try to hide how nervous I am. There's this other mother there. She's so comfortable in her skin. She obviously knows everyone. I'm sure her kids are always invited to play. I wish so much I could just say hello, but I wouldn't fit in. So I get out of there as quickly as possible. Now, if you've read between the lines, you know the punchline, right? They were talking about one another. Of course, I couldn't tell them that, but I knew, and this is no joke. It was an amazing circumstance. But what it points out is what we believe about others can be mind-boggling and not accurate. And comparison can truly be the thief of joy. Often we see others as possessing the very attributes or skills or experience we wish we had. And we put ourselves down because we don't. We may never realize that they have their own struggles underneath whatever they display. You know, it's one of the gifts of being a therapist. I've met hundreds of people who come to me because they're struggling with something, a mental issue, a relationship problem. But I know that no one in their world knows. And I'm not just talking about perfectly hidden depression. I'm talking about is that we never know what the backstory is of someone's life. Unless we're really close to them, we never know. And yet we live in a world of comparison. Your work urges you constantly to perform at the top of your game and gives bonuses to only those that reach a certain level. Neighborhood associations pass out warnings if your yard isn't groomed well enough. And social media isn't helping. On Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you can see how many likes or comments someone's post has received. And then, of course, turn around and compare it to yours. I have to tell you a funny story this time. It's on me. The first year our son was in, actually, it was that very same school I was talking about. They had a Halloween party, and one of the games was a cakewalk, and parents were supposed to bring contributions, food, you know, desserts and stuff. So I baked a pumpkin pie for that walk. Now, I'm not a baker, but I was trying. I raised my hand and said I'd do it. After the pie had cooled a bit, I even for some extra stuff, put a few M&Ms on the top, thinking it looked quite chic. So I took my pie in, and right before I took off the aluminum foil, I saw the other desserts. They were beautifully decorated, beribboned, shrink-wrapped, mile-high visions of sweetness. There were huge baskets of cookies and candies that looked like they'd come out of the Food Network kitchen. (laughs) I was already embarrassed by my humble contribution. But then I took off the aluminum foil and saw to my dismay that the M&Ms had melted. The pie looked like someone had thrown up on it, frankly, and didn't stand a chance against these other incredible displays. 
So what I did is I hastily bribed my son and a couple of his friends with a promise of burgers and fries if they did the walk until they won and got my pie off that table. <laughs> oh, I obviously won't forget it. And I have not contributed another pie. Now, let's make sure we recognize that competition isn't a bad thing. If you win and keep winning in perspective and remain humble, it's wonderful. And then sometimes you lose. You learn to handle it. You hopefully keep trying or you move on to something else that maybe you have more of a natural inclination toward. But comparison is different from competition. It can be used so easily to find fault with yourself and it's not helpful. You know, as a therapist, I've never actually been able to compare myself with other therapists. I'm not in the room hearing what they say or do unless they write a book and tell me what it is. So that is an easy way to take comparison off the table. But when I became a blogger and a podcaster, that comparison potential was available for me big time. And so I, just like the rest of you, have to struggle with, well, how am I in the lineup? Where do I stand? And I can be very competitive, but comparison that's helpful is very different from comparison that is not. So here are five ideas that will hopefully help you and me to create healthy comparison, but not allow it to steal your own joy and happiness. Here's number one. Remember that we're all on a spectrum. There is someone today that's noticing you, seeing things in you that are worthy Now, you may never be aware of it, but they watch you walking your dog or they watch you getting to work. They sit by you in the subway. They notice you. You may never be aware of it, but please don't forget that you could be being admired just as easily. We're on a spectrum. There are always going to be people who are doing better than you or whatever the definition of better is, and there are people who may be struggling more than you are. Just like my story of the two moms What they're believing about you may surprise you because it's not really your reality. But it's a mistake to assume that no one is noticing you. Here's my second idea. We can grow by emulating that which we admire. Emulating. We're trying to copy. We're trying to learn from someone else. You watch a YouTube video to learn how to do something, right? And then you emulate that video. You try to do it the same way. I should have watched a YouTube video on how to decorate a pumpkin pie. (laughs) So when you're wanting to copy or emulate something you admire, you have to do yourself a favor and not to think of yourself as less than because you're still learning. You have to be more objective than that and use it for good. You know, I do this all the time at the gym. I'm not very athletic, but I watch those that are work with machines And then I try to do what they're doing as I can, of course. I don't have their ability, but I can watch their technique and try to emulate that. And then I can get better. Here's a third idea. Comparison, even healthy comparison, can sometimes turn viciously competitive. And that can lead to doing things or saying things that will demean you in the long run. With competition, there can only be one actual winner. And jealousy can seep in. You can start coveting what someone else has or is, which means you don't want them to have it or enjoy it. You want it for yourself. 
It's not a great character trait and can lead to incredible bitterness. So sometimes when you don't win or when you lose something that was valuable to you, for example, a marriage or a friendship, you think, well, why did that end? I lost. You can also say to yourself, what did I learn in the process of that relationship, of that marriage? If I didn't get the job, what did I learn in the process of preparing for the interview? It's the focus, instead of being on the end game, is on the process of learning. The fourth idea is that it's good to realize that others are self-conscious. I always tell my socially anxious people to look around a party when they screw up their courage to go. Because if they start noticing, they'll notice that other people are socially anxious as well. You'll see someone picking up all the dishes or helping out with the organizer of the party. They're giving themselves a task to handle their anxiety. Or like the moms, you'll notice that someone stays intently talking to just one person or the other person flits from group to group. We're all self-conscious. And we all think that other people know or can see our insecurities, and that's probably not true. Most folks are, as a whole, too self-conscious to analyze you. They're thinking about themselves. They're likely even to tell themselves things about you that you would never imagine, just like, again, the moms. Just think how many times you may have laughed with a friend. You know, when I first met you, I thought you were blank, blank, blank. That happens all the time, right? We make assumptions about one another. In fact, I went to a retreat several years ago now. It was a retreat for therapists at a particular residential treatment facility, and we were going to go through the same program that the residents go through. I've talked about that experience on other podcasts. But when we first got there, we formed a big circle, and the leaders had not walked into the room yet, and we were quietly talking or just kind of noticing the other people in the room, and I noticed all of a sudden... You know, I was making assumptions, of course, about other people, trying not to, but it was aware I was. And all of a sudden, I got kind of self-conscious and realized, you know, people are looking at me and doing the same thing. So we're all self-conscious. Maybe that can help those of you with social anxiety out there. You're not. You are far from the only one. This last idea may surprise you. When you reveal or admit your insecurities, it's actually a path to decreasing your comparison with others, your self-comparison, and accepting yourself. If you state openly that you're vulnerable in an area, then your own tendency to dislike that trait in yourself will actually diminish. It's not that bad that you're shy or hesitate to take risks or you talk a lot or you avoid conflict. Long ago, I had a patient that realized she tended to dominate conversations, especially at work, and she knew it was about attention. As soon as she realized that and admitted it to herself, she could develop more objectivity about herself and wait for her turn. But it was her acceptance of it that helped her begin to work with it. You know, maybe you worry too much or struggle to make goals. You weigh more than you want or you don't feel desirable. What you first have to do is accept it and want to change. Then it becomes more possible to be objective. I hope these ideas help. Please remember that you can use comparison to help you, to help you notice and learn to adopt new behaviors or choices that you desire, to help you see yourself more objectively, and to help you grow and change in a positive direction. Just watch out for when it begins to have its own life. 
and your thinking around comparison steals your joy and happiness. The listener email today is from someone who identifies pretty strongly with perfectly hidden depression, but also describes really explosive anger outbursts. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I've only recently considered therapy and feel very lucky that I found your podcast. That pleases me so much. I've been having issues at work and feel like if I don't talk to someone, it could end with me being fired because in my head, I'm always telling my boss to shut the F up. I'm afraid it's going to fly out of my mouth. After listening to your podcast, I think I definitely have perfectly hidden depression. No one would ever guess how I feel, and everyone comes to me to fix their issues. I'm 48, never been married, and I don't have kids or pets. I have to plan all get-togethers with friends, but I always make sure that there are three of us there, so I don't really have to participate. I listen to everyone else's issues, but I never share my own thoughts or feelings. If I do attempt to share, however, I either scream in rage, that's only happened a few times, but I have the feeling of doing that daily, or I begin crying and shut down, but then quickly make a joke about it. Thank you for putting a name to what I feel and helping me understand that I'm not alone. I've included this email because it makes the point that people with perfectly hidden depression can get angry and can express anger. Now, it's interesting that this woman does it at work because most of my own patients with PhD have told me that it's more in their relationships with their partners where control is an issue. And so, of course, I start wondering with this boss if it is a control issue as well. And that's what the anger or the sadness is about. So that's one idea that I wanted to get to her. But also the anger seems like a sign that there are a lot of feelings under the surface that need her attention. And when her emotion does come to the surface, it's really intense and explosive. So I told her, you sound very lonely, actually. You're not allowing anyone to show you their commitment and care. I imagine it has to do with some kind of problem from much, much earlier in your life. And that child within you needs attention and care. You seem to be struggling to know how to let others see your own vulnerability. I'm delighted that you're considering therapy, and you might want to take one of my articles or podcasts on perfectly hidden depression with you so that your therapist won't buy into that happy persona of yours. But please understand also that the trigger may be, as I said a few minutes ago, about control, and you might want to look at that. Good luck to you. Take very good care. So I hope that's helpful. I don't want to create the impression that someone with perfectly hidden depression never gets angry. That's simply not true, or at least isn't true in my concept of perfectly hidden depression. So I hope that this email, along with all the others we go through, is helpful. I want to thank you today for listening to Self Work. I love that I'm getting emails from so many of you. It's truly an honor and a pleasure to answer them and to hear from you. It helps me know who you are, why you listen, what you're struggling with, what you like about self-work, what you don't, what you wish were different. 
So feel free to leave me a comment or a rating or a review anywhere you listen, but especially on iTunes, because of course, that's a prominent way that people listen to podcasts. The most recent review, which was a very positive one, said, for years, I had no idea what was wrong with me. I didn't know I was depressed, only that something was wrong and I had to keep it to myself. I ran across this podcast just in time and nearly wept as Dr. Margaret described me as she unwrapped perfectly hidden depression. I wasn't sad, morose, lethargic like other podcasts described, but I was a pressure cooker about to explode. Now I know why. These podcasts are short enough, professionally done, and relevant. I've recommended it to a few friends already. Nice work, Dr. M. Keep it coming. Thank you so much for letting me know this and by writing it in a way that other people can see. That means so much to me. And you have my gratitude. And thanks for telling your friends. Good old word of mouth is wonderful. And I appreciate that. You can also subscribe on my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, and not only will you get a free copy of my ebook, Seven Commandments of Good Therapy, which helps you choose a really good therapist, you'll also get a weekly newsletter, no more, no less, I promise, which includes my weekly blog post and my weekly podcast, as well as other interesting things that might be going on, but it's very short and sweet, just like the podcast. So I'd love for you to do that. I also have a new Facebook group where I weave in and out and leave my comments, but I've got some wonderful, wonderful people from around the world who have joined, and they all give their different perspectives. It's a very diverse group, lots of different age groups, lots of different countries, primarily the United States, but I'm really enjoying their own participation and, again, getting to know my self-work audience. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Would love to hear from you. So thank you for being here on this episode 108 of Self-Work. I'll be with you next week. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self-Work.